Last week, we started by reading from 3 John, the 4th and the 5th chapter. And being this is just a continuation of, uh, of last week, I'd like just to, to turn there. Uh, of course, uh, <clears throat> the overall text was Deuteronomy 22, uh, and we went all the way through the 22nd chapter of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 22 deals with the law of separation, especially as it relates to relationships. Uh, and I think we covered that quite well. But uh, 3 John 4 and 5, the fourth verse, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Beloved, thou doest faithfully whatsoever thou doest to the brethren and to strangers. Now what I want to do is just pause momentarily and we want to review last week. Now we have several people here that tonight that were not here last week. But we talked about the symptoms of a non-caring uh, attitude. If uh, you have develop a physical sickness, it's pretty easy uh, to determine uh, what is wrong. I went home last Thursday evening. Uh, I was not feeling the best. I could not sleep most of the night. I was having a, just a problem with my sinuses. My head was hurting. My neck was uh, was hurting. Uh, I woke up in the middle of the night sick. I stayed in bed sick for several days. And I called it the flu. And the reason why I called it that, because uh, the last few times that I have had that and I've gone to the doctor, uh, you know, you go over to the doctor, you make an appointment, you go in, <clears throat> an hour and a half later you see the doctor, uh, and then, uh, or you see a nurse, she takes you to the, to the room, she first weighs you and humiliates you, and and then, <laughs> and then <clears throat> she kind of looks at you like, well, I know part of your problem, and then you go in the room and she closes the door leaves a thermometer in your mouth and she doesn't come back for a long, long time. And then she just looks at it and grunts a little bit. Then later on she comes in and takes your blood pressure and shakes her head when she goes out and you just sit there for a long time. The doctor comes in and says, uh, what's wrong with you? You tell him, well, uh, not feeling well and you, you give him the symptoms. He says, well, what we need to do is run uh, some tests on you so he sends you down to the lab and uh, you wait down there for a long time, they extract some blood, and then uh, somebody tells you that uh, uh, he's also ordered an x-ray of your sinuses and, and your chest, and uh, so you go in there and you wait a long time, somebody finally does that. Then they tell you to wait out in the waiting room. I think all the rooms should be labeled as waiting rooms. <laughs> so you wait out there, and, uh, and uh, then what happens... Uh, <coughs> After a while, they call you back in the back room. You wait a little while longer, and, uh, you know, you're sick. You wish you were home in bed, and you wonder why you ever went. And after a while, the doctor comes in and says, you know, you have a virus, and the strand you have, we can not give you anything to help it. So really the best thing for you to do is go home, get in bed and rest, and drink plenty of liquids, and, and within a week or so, you'll be over this. Well... That's what you wanted to do, but your wife coached you into going to start with. So <laughs> it's been all day long. 
only for him to tell you, <clears throat> just go ahead and do what you've been doing, and uh, <clears throat> you probably won't die from it. Uh, recently, I slipped out on the sidewalk, <laughs> and I developed a headache uh, that, that evening, and I thought I had dislocated my shoulder. Later on, my elbow and shoulder got all right, but I still had this headache while I went to, to see the chiropractor. I'd never been to see one of those guys before. I was always afraid of them. And uh, <clears throat> so we have uh, uh, a nurse in our congregation who, uh, uh, it, you know, is a real heretic to her vocation. And she uh, told me that really they wouldn't kill me. So I went over there and uh, walked in the door and, there was a somebody hiding behind the door, and the guy reaches out and karate chops me and knocks me out. And I'm kind of semi-conscious. They're pulling me in the back room, and all of a sudden I heard uh, windows crashing and everything, and at least I thought that's what it was. And uh, Later on I found it was my neck. They were straightening up, and they brought some cold water and poured it on my face and some smelling sauce, and when I got up, my wallet was laying on the floor and there was no money in it. I picked it back up, and the door was open, and I ran out and got in the car, and I looked back up the front, and there was somebody waving out the window by, so. <clears throat> but, uh, no, it really didn't happen that way. <laughs> I was just kidding about that. <clears throat> but uh, <clears throat> when you go to a doctor, the first thing they want to know, what, what is the problem? Well, that's why you go. But really what they're saying, what are the symptoms? In other words, uh, what leads you to believe you're sick? Something. So you tell them. And uh, this is also true in the spiritual world. When you develop spiritual problems, <clears throat> you know, if a person comes in and says, I don't really know what's wrong with the world because everybody I meet is grouchy. And, you know, they go on and on and on. And after a while, <clears throat> when you uh, begin to deal with the individual, you find out that this individual's worked on 20 jobs and been fired because he couldn't get along with anyone gone through three or four divorces because he couldn't get along with his wife. And, uh, you know, he just got monumental problems. Well, you know, uh, the man needs to look at himself. He's got to understand that, uh, you know, everybody's not out of step. That he's probably out of step because he's run into some problems. And, and when we develop spiritual problems, we need to pray about and analyze it. It doesn't make any difference what the situation is. That if you feel that you're in violation of the Scripture, you should carefully search the Scripture and search your heart. Now, some symptoms of a non-caring spirit. Uh, a non-caring person will have symptoms like this. Uh, he uh, quite often uh, questions his responsibility toward others. In other words, he says, well, I can't help the whole world and... I've got to draw a line someplace, so this is where I'm drawing it. He draws that line quite often. Uh, another symptom is he is overprotective of his own time. In other words, he, he says, well, I have to build fences around my time, and I've got to be a spiritual giant. And the truth of the matter is, uh, uh, you know, I've got to have time alone. I've got to have time to pray and time to think. And so he just becomes overprotective. Now, I didn't say protective of his time. I said overprotective of his time. Also, you will find a symptom is that he uh, is, is he, he usually is selfish with uh, 
with his money or earthly commodities, such as, well, I worked hard for this. I'm not going to loan this to anybody, contrary to what the Bible says. Or I worked hard for my money, and the person that I see that has a need uh, is not a very industrious person. Uh, they're not aggressive. They're not hardworking as I am. Uh, a common statement is, if they worked as hard as I work, they'd probably have enough for themselves. Another symptom is, <clears throat> now I took these from the Bible, and last week I went over scriptures. Another symptom is that uh, the person becomes unwilling to obligate or commit himself to any particular ministry. Uh, quite often we'll hand out a, uh, a little survey sheet just to find out what people want to become involved in. And, uh, it's, it's not uncommon to see this statement. At this point, I am unable to obligate myself to any ministry. Uh, and so, regardless of what the excuse is, you, you, you still find this excuse. Some say that, well, I'm just too busy with my job. You know, I really think if you're too busy for a ministry, you're just, you've got the wrong job. Really, you've got the wrong job. I, I do not find in the Bible, you know, Jesus even gave the parable of the Great Supper. And, and uh, he dealt with people that had excuses, didn't he? And they were all too obligated to the commodities and things of this world and uh, certainly did not obligate themselves to the Lord. Another symptom is that uh, you, some people feel that life is just unfair, such as uh, some people have the down-and-out attitude, just the opposite of the man who protects everything that he has, uh, he says, well, I don't have anything anyway, so I can't help. Well, it's, it's amazing how we always equate the need in the area in which we are deficient. There are many ways in which you can care for people and help people. And some of the greatest help that's given to people on this earth does not cost you a dime. It's just the way that you treat people, the, the gentleness, the goodness. Now, when we talk about caring, we, we went back to, last week we went back to the, the character of God, which is the fruit of the Spirit. And uh, this is so very, very important. See, we sometimes expect apostolic power without rendering apostolic service or apostolic life. Uh, the lifestyle of the first church was that they cared so much for each other that they actually sold their possessions, at least the church in Jerusalem, and they uh, distributed them equally. Now, the other churches didn't do that, and there was no commandment in the Bible by the apostles or by the Lord for them to do that. But that, that they just cared that much for the power. That's, that's the way they were. They, they, they just wanted to, everything to be equal. And, and I don't promote that idea simply because that there's been no directive from the Holy Ghost for us to do that. And, and, and certainly we can't say that we're inferior because there were other churches that, that uh, were not directed either. And later on, they helped those people that were in Jerusalem that sold all their goods. But uh, basically, <clears throat> you see, the, the character of God, as far as I can see, is, uh, is so very, very important. Uh, we're, we, we're stressing revival. And we've talked about revive. We're talking about praying. But there has to be a balance in the teaching structure of any church. If you just talk about miracles all the time and you don't talk about character, 
uh, you can get off base. Now, let me explain something. Uh, it is possible to be so involved in miracles that you forget about character. And as a result, churches can become very ruthless and uncaring and greedy and selfish and at the same time have miracles. And you will find that that was true in the Bible. And also we know that uh, Jesus even said that there will be people that will say, Lord, Lord, have not I cast out devils in your name? Have not I healed the sick in your name? He shall say, depart from me, ye that work iniquity, for I never knew you. But you can never find in the Bible where anyone was ever uh, in any way corrected as having a deficiency when the character of God was prevalent in their life. Uh, a, a case of this would be, here's a man that, that was considered to be the greatest of all the prophets. His name was John the Baptist, yet the Bible says he worked no miracles. Now that's not to say that, that, that if you have the character of God that, that, that you should forget about miracles. We're not saying that. It's just that John had such integrity that, that he manifested the character of God and there was, there was no prophet greater than John even though he didn't work miracles. But see, John understood his mission. He knew what his mission was all about. See? Uh, he knew what his mission was all about. And uh, he said, uh, the Lord must increase, I must decrease. He said, uh, I can do nothing except it be given me from above. He said, the Lord gave it, and there will be a time which the Lord will take it away, and my mission in life is over. Uh, basically, I'm saying this, that when it comes down to it, before you do anything, you must be something. And that's what the Sermon on, on the Mount is all about. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. See, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And before we do things, we must be something. And when we talk about caring, we're basically saying this starts in the heart. It's the character of God that's in our heart that causes us to care enough to visit hospitals and pray for people who are sick, that causes us to care enough to take of our earthly commodities and lay them on a table and spend a whole afternoon with foreign students that come here to, to this city. It's the character of God that causes us to, to pray at an altar, uh, even sometimes when we have aches and pains and we don't feel like praying. See, it's that character of God that should... Uh, uh, push you into the area of spiritual living. So we must first be before we do. And this is why that uh, it's important for us to balance everything with character. So always feeling that life is unfair. I'll get back to that. In other words, I don't have much. If anything bad can happen to me, if anything bad can happen to me, it will happen to me. Uh, <clears throat> you know, I can hardly help myself, let alone somebody else. Now, another symptom is being too critical of others. That is, being presumptuous. If I help him, you know, what, what, what's he going to do with whatever? I, if I give him money, what's he going to do? If I, if I help him, if I have a need, will he come and help me? Well, he may not, but I'll assure you this, somebody else will. Because God will take care of you. Then a, a, a feeling that prayer alone relieves your responsibility to an individual. 
this is an area that a lot of Christians are deficient in because we pray for people today. Uh, and sometimes we, uh, I get calls from people and they say, Brother Grant, I have had a real burden for this person. I've been praying all week long. Would you do this or would you do that? Well, my, my basic answer, overall answer to the congregation is, uh, I'm happy to do that, but if God's placed that burden on you, uh, don't feel that, that your responsibility is over simply because that you prayed and you have a burden. See? Then uh, <clears throat> the, eighth, uh, the eighth symptom that I have, and that is uh, being, having a very sharp and caustic tongue, being critical, uh, sarcastic. By caustic, we mean burning, stinging, biting. People can get in that habit. Uh, and sarcasm. Uh, you know, it's just the name of the game with some people. Uh, Galatians 5 talks about being gentle, long-suffering, and kind. Kindness is something. If you, if you ever get married, you got to practice kindness. Some people are masters at leaving people torn and ripped and feeling bad about themselves. And, they, and husbands can walk away while wives all day long are, are just feeling so terrible about the relationship. And it could be vice versa, too. Uh, because, uh, you know, we're, we're all the children of Adam, and we're all subject to these things. But to be gentle and long-suffering and kind is, is just uh, something. We went to Galatians, uh, 1 Corinthians 12. We talked about healings, and then there was one that we didn't talk about, and that's the ministry of helps. Did you know that's a spiritual gift? That God gives some people the spiritual gift of helps simply means that you stand in the shadow, so to speak, not in the forefront, but in the wilderness like John, and you help somebody else with their ministry, and they get all the credit for it. And you don't do anything but just simply assist. But that is a spiritual gift. A lot of spiritual gifts coupled up together with others, like wisdom and knowledge and uh, and then, of course, tongues and interpretation and prophecy and then healings and helps. Now, let's go on then to the ninth symptom that we talked about, and that's continually questioning the motives of others. In other words, uh, when you find somebody needs help, first thing you do is begin to question why do they need help. You know, that's, a, that's, a, that's, a, that's something we always try to figure out. We... We, we certainly blame the media on this, but we all are that way. We say, why does the media want to probe every little motive and everything? Well, that's the way people are. And, you know, when they report it, we'd like to hear why this man broke in that house. The motive is always important to us. So we question the motives of other people. And, uh, and, and, and we complain about uh, situations like this. And then, of course, the, the tenth thing we talked about was... Uh, just a overall grouchy disposition. Some people are, you know, like the porcupine. They have a lot of very good points, but you can't get near them. And then the eleventh thing we talked about, and that is uh, just simply uh, gossiping about others. If there's anything that Christians should be involved in, that's telling. But the telling should be the gospel, the good news. And when you come around... You should excel to tell the good news. But the truth of the matter is, before you share the good news, you should be the good news. 
Isn't that right? So we're talking about caring. We spent some time reviewing this. The reason why I reviewed this and spent additional time, I want you to get this down. If these symptoms, now I'm not saying that if you have one or two symptoms occasionally, that there's not legitimacy in this because there are cases and reasons why that you should on certain occasions be concerned about the business of others because there will be people that ask for your counseling. Let's say an individual is always broke and maybe he has a problem with his finances and he's asking for advice and certainly if he asks for advice you would want to be able to give him advice as objectively as you possibly can. But I'm talking about uh, people that, uh, that these symptoms are prevalent in their life quite often. Now tonight we want to start out by talking about the purpose of the church. The purpose of the church is twofold. Number one, to get men saved. And number two, to keep men saved. Now other places in our Christian stewardship, we teach this. A close look, however, at our objectives, <clears throat> uh, we find out that the, the first part of this, getting men saved evangelism, we spend about 10% of our time or effort doing it, and about 90% of our time and effort keeping them saved. Now, it just works that way, and it can't be any other way. But what I want to do is go over some things that that uh, we want, that we had to, When we taught the Jesus method, which is uh, in the level three of our stewardship, uh, I think we touched on this. But we must understand our purpose and identify with it. Every man must identify with the purpose of Christ. Now, not just one phase of that, but both phases. You should be involved in getting men saved. All of our uh, leaders here in our church, that is, uh, in, in our monthly council, our department heads, in, in their particular monthly form, we ask them this question. Well, when we ask them several questions, one, one, have you attended the pre-service prayer meetings and the revival prayer meeting? And then we ask them, have you been involved in getting someone saved? Now, that's, that's a must. <clears throat> you know, it doesn't make any difference what your job <coughs> or your position is. Now, I'm not saying that everybody ought to teach home Bible studies, but I believe that everybody ought to be involved in witnessing and soul winning. So we must identify with that purpose. Now, the Great Commission cannot be fulfilled in evangelism alone. The core of Christ's command was to go and make disciples. Now, we must remember that witnessing by itself does not go far enough. And just as we talked before about uh, praying, <clears throat> where people feel that, well, I prayed for the individual, I don't know what else I can do. Uh, some people say, well, I told the individual what he needs to do, and I, I don't think that I can do anything else. But the word witness in Acts 1 and 8 does not mean to go and tell, but it really means to be an example. In other words, are you an example to that individual? Uh in what area, Brother Grant? Well, in all the areas that Christians ought to be a, an expert in, that's basically on 
how to live. How to live. See, the Bible says that our weapons are not carnal, but they're mighty to the pulling down the strongholds of Satan. Isn't that what it says? <clears throat> so a scud missile comes flying through the air, and you send up a spiritual uh, missile to knock it out of the air. Well, what are you talking about? Well, I remember one time when I went to the hospital, and all I wanted to do was pray for an individual. So I was in this religious hospital. Uh, statues all over the place, and it was named after one of the uh, patriot saints. And uh, uh, here I was. Uh, uh, you know, I wouldn't want to call any names. So here I was, and... Uh, praying for this person, and, and this nurse came in, and, and I mean, just no regard to, to me praying, and just, I'm sorry, sir, and just just kind of rooted me out of the way, and uh, I was kind of taken by surprise, and my, my natural uh, response to that was, you know, that I'm just going to uh, tell her what I think. <clears throat> now, you know, this is supposed to be a religious hospital, and certainly you have a chapel and places where people pray, and it's all right for me to pray. No, I didn't do that. I stepped back, and just like the Holy Ghost talked to me, and, and uh, the Lord has to keep me in bounds a lot by talking to me. And so I stepped back, and I said, well, I'm sorry. I said, uh, uh, <clears throat> it's appropriate to, to pray uh, anytime, and, and if you have work here, well, I'll step outside, and you just let me know, and I'll uh, come back in here. And I'm sorry if I got in your way, ma'am. Uh, this person, you know, is very sick, and, and this person called on me. So I'll, I'll, uh, I'll just step outside the door, and when you come out, uh, you just give me the sign, and I'll come back in. I just smiled the way I thought Jesus would have smiled. And uh, uh, <clears throat> she reaches over and gets me by the arm and says, Oh, no, it really was my fault, she said. Uh, <clears throat> what happened? Uh, how can you defend against someone? How can you, you know, somebody says, well, I, I made a mistake, I'm sorry. Uh, you know, if the hardest thing in the world is to jump on somebody that's apologizing, you know, you just can't hardly do that, can you? So, see, our weapons are mighty, see. So we don't fight carnality with carnality. If our car don't start, we jump out and kick the door in and act like some kind of bizarre idiot from another planet, and our neighbor's watching us and says, Oh, he's a Christian. That's the way Christians act. See? See, remember that witnessing by itself does not go far enough. And then after a while, your neighbor has a problem, and you go over and you tell him all about trials and troubles and how he can then overcome it through Jesus Christ and make sure that whatever test you're in, that you pass the test. So don't lose your cool. Don't kick your door in. And, you know, and this type of thing. Well, you see, you see. All right. There are these three distinct levels of this commission. You get the man saved, you establish him in the Word, and you get him to teach others exactly what he's been taught. So the goal is the multiplication of teachers. Now, this actually seems to be a very, very slow route. But remember, this is the way Jesus started. Jesus spent three and a half years basically discipling how many people? Twelve. 12, and he had one of them to drop out right away. So it, it seems like a very slow thing, but but uh, uh, remember, if Jesus, if there had been a better way, Jesus would have used it. See? 
See, we like to think about, about great big coliseums full of people weeping and crying in praise of the Lord. Well, <clears throat> you know, we can't see the forest for the trees, so to speak. In other words, we get our mind on the multitudes and we don't understand that each person is whole within himself and complete and you've got to disciple that one man. That that's the way it works. So the fulfillment of the commission is a reality only when 2 Timothy 2, 2 becomes a reality. And here's, here are the three levels. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, level number one, the same commit thou to faithful men, level number two, who shall be able to teach others also, level number three. If there had been a better way, Jesus, I feel quite confident, would have used it. Don't you? So there is no better way. Now, we're talking <clears throat> basically about caring. So we're not going to be going into means and methods of, of teaching Bible studies and such. So basically, when we convert someone, we do about 10% of our work. When we disciple them, we do the remaining 90%. And the reason why that there's a big dropout rate, I think in our church, as well as a lot of other churches, is because that we feel that it's kind of a 50-50 thing. In other words, 50% of our work is telling and 50% is caring. <coughs> it's not really that way. It's more like 10 and 90. It really is. Now, statistics reveal this. Uh, and I've showed this to you before. That when it comes to getting people into the church and getting people to stay in the church, people who come through revivals, radio, TV, news media, whatever. This is an overall uh, figure that was taken from Church Growth of America that point zero 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 one percent of the people stay. Can you believe that? Now, we're talking about people that do not have associates in the church or families. Then people who come through your Sunday school, you have 3 to 6%. But they say that people who come primarily because of a, some member of the family, a friend or some associate, that 70 to 90% of the people stay in the church. Now, what does this reveal? It reveals it's easy to care in this area, but somebody you don't know, you know, just walks in and they receive the Holy Ghost uh, it's easy then for the, just fill out a card and you got this name and number. And so we have visitor follow-up, so Brother and Sister Brown go and visit them the next week, and then uh, you're supposed to go and give them a call, but you don't know them, and to you one person is as important as the other. And it's easy for you to think about somebody you know that you'd rather go see than somebody that you don't know. That's just a normal tendency. But if God saves someone through this means, you see, we don't choose who God saves, do we? No. It's an amazing thing. You know, it's just like Doug and Sharon just had this baby, and Joy and Michelle just dedicated uh, their uh, boy. And I tell you, I really wanted to be here for that. I am so sorry. Uh, I, this was a special thing for me because the first baby that I dedicated after coming to Calvary Gospel Church was Dan Thorpe. And then to take his brother's son and dedicate him, I thought it was kind of special. Now I'll have to wait for Dan's. Uh, of course, he's going to have to straighten up his act, otherwise he never will find a wife. But, but uh, 
Where is Dan anyway? Oh, over there. <laughs> His face is red, isn't it? And I'll tell you. But uh, <clears throat> it's going to be a great time. We got a lot of babies to dedicate. But you see, here's what happens. You know, the Lord just kind of. It's, it's like the Lord just brings this baby in and puts it in the bed by Sharon and say, this is what I gave you. And Doug and Sharon, you're to love it. You know, if it weighs 6 pounds or 12 pounds, if it's 18 inches long or 22 inches long, if it's hair straight or curly, if it's got blue eyes or brown eyes or whatever, here it is. It's, and that's the way it is in the family of God. We don't choose who God puts in the family. God just saves one person and puts the person out and says, now this is who is your brother and you're supposed to take care of him. This is a babe in Christ and you're to love him and make sure that he is taken care of and make sure that he grows and matures and he's welcome into the family. He may be a down and outer. He may have a criminal record. Uh, he may be a wealthy individual. He may not be compatible to a lot of people in the church from the standpoint of lifestyle or whatever. But he's our brother in Christ, and we have to care for him and should care for him. Why? Because Jesus Christ saved him. Jesus is our father, and Jesus gave him to us, and the church is the mother, and we are to, to help the individual and take care of the individual. And that's just the way that works. And uh, every now and then we'll get someone in the church that, that uh, may have some problems with drugs, and uh, they've got their little oddities, and different things and uh, uh, you know I, I just I've heard so many things since I've been preaching I, I, I've, I've heard well-meaning saints criticize a lot of people that are down and out that come to God they say how come all the down and outers come to God well I'll tell you the reason why the down and outers do Jesus said to those people that were too busy to care he said don't you worry about this and he sent forth his servants, and he says, You go out in the highways and the hedges, and you bring in the halt, and you bring in the lame, and you bring in the blind, and you bring in the maimed. And he says, Why? Because my house must be filled. Jesus does not want to be ignored. Never, never. He does not want to be ignored. And, and so it is true that uh, there are a lot of down and outers, and there are people with problems. And I'm one... That I, I just, uh, my patience sometimes is a little short with people who will not listen. But nevertheless, there were times in which I didn't listen. So you've got to remember the pit from which you came from, Paul said. The pit, David said, that, that I was digged from. You've got to remember that. The, the one that you fell in. When I came to God, I was a very sick man. With monumental problems. I, I just didn't, I just, I just... I don't know why Jesus Christ saved me, but He did. And I thank the Lord that He put me in a church where people cared. Now, we want to talk about our evangelism program, Five Areas of Spiritual Truth. These are things that, that uh, you as a spiritual parent must take uh, in consideration. Now, in our Christian stewardship class, uh, <clears throat> we try our best to train the individual in the way of the Lord. We also assign every person coming into the church a care partner. Now, if you're new in the church, you may say, who's my care partner? There's so many people that call me and care for me. Well, I hope it is that way. 
and we don't go and say, now look, your care partner is, uh, but usually it's the person who brought you to church or, or uh, someone that you uh, all automatically just uh, uh, kind of uh, uh, struck up a relationship with and, or someone who prayed with you at the altar. So we, we, we always have a reason for choosing particular care partners. But uh, this is an area that uh, I feel that Calvary Gospel Church could use some help in because we have had some people that were assigned as a care partner because they brought someone to church and maybe a month later the person has, has come to church four or five times or so and, and you ask them, how's your care partner coming along? And, and they have not called, they haven't gone by to see them, they haven't prayed with them. Uh, you know, if you cannot do it, Make sure you do not accept the responsibility because if someone's assuming that you're doing it and it is not done, you see, Jesus Christ said, what must a man give in exchange for his soul? The person who came to God realized that his soul was more valuable than all of earth's commodities piled up in one big heap. And he realized that. But if we don't realize that, see, there must be a sense of, of eternity involved in what we're doing. We must sense that and understand that what we're doing is, is everlasting and it's important. And if we can't do it, we should never accept the responsibility. But once we say, I will do it, then you do that with all your heart because that's more important than you going out and getting somebody else. See, that's just like a family that would leave their children at home all the time and not spend any time with them, not pray with them, not instruct them, never take them on vacations, or, and spend all their time with somebody else's family. God doesn't expect you to say to the world, let your own go to hell. Because your primary responsibility is to the people that God gave to you personally. And if God has given you someone, uh, if it's really a matter of, of choice, you always want, always want to be with the person that you're a spiritual care partner to as opposed to going out and neglecting him and seeing somebody else saved. Now, the truth of the matter is, if you manage wisely, you'll always be witnessing to someone, and at the same time, you'll always be helping someone. Now, <clears throat> the five basic errors of spiritual truth, the first thing you must do is help the person find salvation. And that doesn't just mean pray at the altar. Sometimes that means opening the Bible. And I've got to tell you, uh, there's been so many times my heart was so thrilled when I look back. And uh, not too long ago, you remember, we took our growth partners and we were all praying and we had some visitors here. I looked around and several people were already sitting down with their Bibles open and uh, they were discussing the Word of the Lord with a visitor. You could see tears in the eyes of the visitor already as they were taking their Bible and carefully going through. They were helping someone find salvation. That's a very, very important thing. Now, after a person has found salvation, you must help the new believer develop a consistent devotional uh, life. This, this is so very important. I just don't know how that I could overstress the importance of prayer. Uh, really, this, uh, uh, this past week with the, with the flu, uh, I, I decided that I wanted to make good use of the time as much as I could uh, and I had a lot of time to pray and seek God I wasn't able to come over to the church but 
but uh, it just like God was so real to me. And, and to take that away from an individual, see. But now to a person who doesn't know how good that is. See, if you could go out and you could save the whole world, if you could force it on the whole world, and save the whole world and then give them a choice, now do you want to go back to your drugs? Do you want to go back to your adultery? Do you want to go back to your bar fights? Do you want to go back to your old lifestyle? Or would you choose to, to continue with their hands lifted and praising God and such? I would say that we could save the world in time if we could do it that way. But that's not the way we do it. We, we can't do it that way. And what happens, though, is that what the person felt at the altar that night, it, it cannot be overstressed to him that that same personal relationship, the cleanness and the nearness to God, and that, that feeling of you know security just wraps you up tight. Like Jesus was wrapped in swaddling clothes. Swaddling clothes means... Uh, a bandage type, but he was wrapped tight. And, and we are wrapped tight in security when Jesus touches us. That's the reason why that the person feels so unsaved and he comes down to the altar and it's like God wraps his strong arms of security around that person. That person gets up after receiving the baptism of the Holy Ghost, goes home and lies in bed with a smile on his face saying, Oh, Jesus, if the rapture takes place, I'm heaven bound, O oh Lord. You know, now he needs to feel that all time. And the reason why that some new converts become very uh, skeptical of things in the church and, and a little bit disfitted, uh, 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 a little bit out of joint, so to speak, and, and, and not quite aligned, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, th things can be wrong. Uh, I just uh, use this example today, and I'll use it again. You know, you can take your car and you can put uh, you can put brand new plugs in it, and you can put new points in it, and a new distributor cap, and a new rotor, and, and you can put all new wires in it, and 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 all this, and still the thing can backfire. It can be just one or two degrees out of timing. Now the new cars, you know, they're they're timed by computer and such, and they put the computer chip, they automatically time themselves. But those things can go bad, and they can be out of time, and and and, and that car does not run smoothly. Prayer, devotional life, brother, brother Thomas tunes you with God. It aligns you with God. So that when you get up, you see life from God's point of view. Now, you don't have problems with worldliness and, and flesh and, and such when you're aligning, aligning yourself every day with God. Praise God. In fact, the, some of the things you cared about and some of the things you went wild about, you may, you may manifest some type of concern because it's, it, it's related to your life, but on the other hand, it, you know, it's, it's not a monumental significance anymore. It just it isn't. It just simply isn't. It just simply is not. Praise God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. So you help that new believer develop a consistent devotional life. How are you going to do this? You're going to have to pray with him. You're going to have to pray with him. Not just tell him he needs to pray, but find some time. Ask the new believer, would you join me in the prayer room uh, at 5.30 in our pre-service prayer? I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll wait in the vestibule. I won't sit on one of the sofas that has been designated for our senior citizens, unless you are a senior citizen. But, but nevertheless, I'll wait for you. <laughs> and... Uh, <coughs> And so you wait, or you call him 
or her and say, you know, tonight's revival prayer meeting. I'd like to, to join you in prayer tonight. Can I? And because this is this is when when you lose your devotion with Christ, you've lost out. Period. You can't be saved without prayer. No, you can't be. I mean, how could you have a good friend like God never talk to? You know, my very best friend I haven't talked to in 40 years, you say. Haven't written him, sent a birthday card, acknowledged anything, haven't called him. He's my best friend. I just love him, and I'll just love this person so much, I just like to be with him all the time. How come you haven't? Well, you know how it goes. I just, uh, 40 years pass, sure passes fast, doesn't it? And we do that sometime with God. Oh, I just love God. You know, I go to church and I sing these songs and everything, but as far as personal devotion, you know, uh, we are uh, not on good speaking terms. In other words, I don't get on, I don't pray, I don't read the Bible like I ought to, and, and there's no real devotional life. You can't be saved if you don't pray. And, and I'm amazed at people that can just find other things to do, you know, just chit-chat all the time when prayer meetings are going on and everything. Oh, listen, you need to chit-chat with Jesus. Praise the Lord. All right. Now help the new believer understand the basics of abundant Christian living. The basics of abundant Christian living. In other words, how to appropriate blessings and how abundant a life in the Lord can be. See, Jesus said, I come that you might have life. And was he talking about pulsation? No, because the person had pulsation. You might have life and that you might have life more abundantly. He's not just talking about eternal life. He did come that you might have eternal life. But that life right now has a sense and a purpose. And when you align yourself to God, that, 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 that hey, this is going to be great. You may say, oh, Brother Grant, what about troubles and trials? They'll come. Don't worry about it. They'll take care of themselves. They'll be your way. But you see, you'll have Jesus with you. Now, let me tell you something. I'm just going to insert this. I don't know why that I want to insert this, but... <clears throat> I just feel a direction from the Holy Ghost. Some of you are going through trials right now. My wife and I have had struggles. All marriages have struggles. I remember a few times I, I tried. I did everything I could. I couldn't find a job. We'd move to a new location. I moved there primarily for the establishment of a church. And my wife and I uh, and our family, went. we went through a lot of very thin, lean, Years, you follow what I'm saying? Now you'll find this out, though. Not now. Not one time ever did Sister Grant come to me and say, "What's wrong with you? How come you can't find a job?" No, we got down and we prayed. I've always worked, and 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 I enjoy working. And she trusts me, and she knows that's true. But uh, she didn't blame me, and I didn't blame her. I I didn't say, "Well, why don't you go out and?" And, and pick berries or something, make a cobbler or something, you know. You know, there's all, you can always get at each other. And this is what happens when Christians go through trials. They seem to want to jump down God's throat like, what's going on here? No. Oh, no. Back off, friend. Back off and say, now, Lord, now you said you'd go with me even to the end of this world. We're going to go through this thing together. And you develop a very personal relationship. You'll find this out, that later on, what you remember as the most precious moments of your life, they're not the 4th of July parties, and they're not your 40th birthday party or 50th or whatever. 
But you're going to find that your most precious moments involve those times of suffering together. Do you think that Paul prayed what he prayed when he wanted to become acquainted with the suffering of Christ, that somehow he got a glimpse of this concept? That the things that become precious to you are those moments of suffering together. See? So there's a lot involved in teaching the new believer uh, to understand the basics of abundant Christian living. That abundant, an abundant relationship is not always bread falling out of heaven, but it's holding hands with God through sickness and sorrow and, and lean years and good years. Always there. Always there. I've known of a lot of marriages that broke up as a result of, of things not going well in the home. And I've known of more to break up when things went too well. Do you hear me? Wife got her own car. Husband got his. She went her own way. He went his own way. And things were so flush. And they forgot about each other. Sounds like us sometime with Jesus. Help the new believer become integrated into the life of the local church. This is something that is so very important. <clears throat> now, you're going to always have in a church someone that just likes to throttle everybody and tell everybody everything there is to know about everything. Now, you're going to have people do that. But the worst thing you can do is try to protect the new believer from any individual. So, uh, that's the worst thing you can do. If somebody, if, if any one of you, if any one of you really does something that you should not do, a real no-no, I don't cover up for you. That they come and say, you know what this person told me? I don't cover up for the person. But I don't try to make the person look bad. And some people will just simply go out of their way to say to somebody else, you follow what I'm saying? And the best thing you can do is share the new believer. And make sure that the new believer has a broad range of, of fellowship with other people. See, he needs that. He's got to have that. He needs to know that that the body of Christ is, 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 is has been left on the earth to evangelize and to perfect itself. It was not left here to evangelize because we were perfect, but to perfect itself. You know, if you took that piano and somehow you could trace its history back and you could go all the way back to the factory where they made this, you'd find a whole bunch of them there. And and if you were to go into the room in which they were stringing this thing up and tuning it and such, and they got all these pianos, you'd say, dear me, listen to all these sounds and such. See? And this is kind of the, the piano factory where we're all being made and we're all being strung up so that one of these days... We can harmoniously play in his symphony. See? 
Praise God. So we're not all perfect, and that's the way it is. And and there's going to be some people that are going to they're going to offend. They're going to say the wrong things, and some people don't intentionally do that. Even yourself, sometimes you don't intentionally mean to mean to say it, and you'll say something, and you realize right away that you shouldn't have said it, and you have to go, oh, I didn't mean to. I I I, I you know. But I don't try to cover it for people. I just say, well, this is the way life is. You know, there's a whole lot of things that you're going to disagree with in this church here. You probably even disagree with the pastor occasionally. I do. But I tell you what, when I disagree with him, I pray about it and pray for him. You know, Jesus taught us even to pray for our enemies and bless them that despitefully use you and curse you. And I look for ways to bless my pastor. He's never cursed at me. <laughs> but if Jesus expects the people who curse me, if he expects my response to, to be to look for ways to bless him and pray for him, how much more should we love and pray for each other? Praise God. Isn't that right? See, one problem that the church has... I'm not talking about Calvary Gospel Church because, truthfully, I'm going to say this. I agree. I heard uh, a brother of this church make this statement. Brother Gary made this statement, and I do appreciate it. Brother and Sister Gary telling me this, and I, we have never seen a church that loves and cares like Calvary Gospel Church. Brother and Sister Bradbury told me that when they left here. I saw them in, in uh, Mississippi, and they told me the same thing. I want to say this. I... I I, I, I mean this from the very depths of my heart. I've just never seen a group of people to love and care like the saints of Calvary Gospel Church. But I do know this, that I think overall, considering this congregation and all other congregations, if there is one area that we'd be deficient in, and that is that we don't care as much about our brothers as Jesus really expects us to care about our enemies. Now, if you're going to save the world, you know, see, he that's friendship with the world is at enmity with God. So, so the people who are not saved, they're basically enemies of the cross of Christ. You follow what I'm saying? And so you're on the Lord's side, and we are, we are to reconcile the world into Jesus. Isn't that right? He's given us the ministry of reconciliation. And we have to love our enemies. And if we could learn to love our enemies, how much more would we be able to love each other then? You know, we use the word tolerate. I, I've heard, oh, I can tolerate that individual. Who said anything about toleration? I didn't even read that in the Bible. Tolerate your enemies. Tolerate your brothers that offend you. Jesus said offenses must come. They must come. They're good for us. It's good to get your feelings hurt every now and then. Did you know that? Sure it is. It really is. At least Jesus said it was. <clears throat> All right. So help the new believer come integrated into the life of the local church. Help the new believer share his experience with others. Uh, <clears throat> you know, it's quite often that you have a new believer that that uh, he just wants to tell everybody. I've had people receive the Holy Ghost on the very next week before anybody ever said one word. They were back over to their to their their former church, they were in talking to the priest, they were witnessing him, they were calling their families, but that's not true of everybody. There are some that they receive the Holy Ghost and they never share it with anybody. Uh, they 
just don't. And that's just the way it is. So you need to help that new believer share his experience with others. If you're going out and teaching Bible studies or witnessing or whatever, it doesn't hurt to take him along. Now our time is up, and like I say, this doesn't have a, any particular formal ending because next week will be just continuation. I guess next week we have the revival, don't we? Is that right? So then after that, then we have a couple of weeks, and then we have youth week, and then I have another <clears throat> another Thursday night. So we may, I don't know how long it's going to take us, but I do appreciate uh, you caring. Praise God. All right, everybody stand with me at this time, would you? Oh, hallelujah. I don't know about you, but I feel the Lord here. Do you? Let's lift our hands and worship the Lord. Praise God. Oh, thank you, Jesus, Lord. Yes, God, we love you. We worship you, God. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah.